Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you today. We're continuing our series on the hymns and a good week to be together celebrating mothers, but much more than that, celebrating the peace of Christ and the blessed assurance. I hope that you kind of caught that in a couple of the songs we sang. This week, we're digging into the song Blessed Assurance, one of the greats. Uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking on some of the most famous hymns. And uh, if we don't catch yours, it's because there's hundreds of hymns. And so it will be difficult to do that, but we're going to try our best to catch most of the favorites. And so Blessed Assurance this week is part of this series called Hymns. And in Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Now the lyrics to this particular hymn, Blessed Assurance, are written by someone named Francis Jane Crosby. That might not be a name you're familiar with, or for some it may be very known. She is a famous hymn writer known mostly by the name Fanny Crosby. Uh, You don't meet too many people named Fanny anymore. That one's unpopular, Uh, but it was back in the day. And this tune was written by her and her friend Phoebe Knapp. She's a famous American mission worker, poet, lyricist. It's said that she's composed over 8,000 hymns. That's amazing, really. That's I don't think I've written 8,000 words. I mean, maybe I did in seminary, but, but not they weren't hymns. I mean, that takes a lot of work. Uh, she's a prolific hymnist and famous for her work in New York City, actually, rescue mission work there. And in the late or end of the 19th century is when she's really doing some of her work and, and became known as the queen of gospel songwriters. But just so you know, and what's interesting about her story and why I bring it up is that she was born not really in the greatest of of conditions. Uh, Born in March 24th of 1820 in New York City, she lost her sight at just two months old. Uh, An eye infection that they didn't treat properly. Uh, And she ended up losing her sight when possibly she didn't have to. In modern days, she would not have lost her sight as a result of this, but blind from the moment she could remember. And her father died when she was just six months old. So kind of a difficult start uh, for this young lady. And... Famously, her grandmother was known to recite the the scriptures to her constantly selected poetries and literature, so much so that this young lady born basically blind was able to memorize large parts of the Old and New Testament, which is fascinating. Just by listening, she was able to really capture it and, 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 and memorize these things. And she began writing poetry as early as eight years old. Later, she studied at the Institute for the Blind there in New York and learned how to play a lot of instruments as well as becoming an accomplished singer herself. Now this song in particular is interesting because she kind of wrote it on a whim, if you will. She was listening to a song that her friend Phoebe was playing in Brooklyn and she, after playing it, turned to her and said, what do you think of this tune? And Crosby then immediately said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And then kept talking and Phoebe just started writing. And it ended up being the song you now know, Blessed Assurance. This song got popular by a man named D.L. Moody, who I bet more of you have probably heard of. 
uh, famous work, and his gospel leader was a man named Ira Sankey, and they popularized this hymn. I wonder, do you know this blessed assurance of belonging to Jesus? This word assurance is about a sense of confidence. It's about a sense of knowing beyond just, I know that you know I'm standing on a stage, but like, I know that Jesus saved me. I, I know it, I'm, I'm confident in it, and I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm resting my life on that. My, my trust and my hope is focused in that. That's what this song is about. That's what our scripture that we're going to dig into today is about. And I wonder today if you showed up, what's your status with God? Do you not have this sense of confidence, this sense of assurance? Well, I got great news. I don't believe even in the slightest that God desires for us to doubt. I don't. I think God, in fact, wants us to know that we know that we know that He has saved us. That much is true if we read the Scriptures. We know He's done the work. The question is, have we said yes? And have we believed with our life? Then, I know that God wants us to have confidence. That's where we're going to dig in today. How can we have this blessed assurance for ourselves? Not just a song on a page, not just something to sing, something that, I'm, that I know. And we're going to be in the book of 1 John. Really, this is one of the better scriptures that I could think of to talk about this idea of confidence and assurance. And in 1 John, his first epistle, he, he's writing to believers. Don't, don't, don't get this mixed up. This is definitely a book for Christians where he's trying to help them understand eternal life and what they do with sin and what they do with condemnation and then what, what it looks like to have a confidence in your faith. This is what this book is about and how we can be assured of our salvation. We can ask the same question of the text. How can we be sure? And I believe the text is going to give us several keys to having assurance of salvation in Jesus. So just a handful of scriptures today that are just packed with meaning. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 11. It says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in, in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of Him. Let's stop there. God bless the reading of His Word. Amen? Amen. There's a lot just in these short verses to unpack how to have assurance of salvation in Jesus. Well, first, seems pretty clear that we would receive Him as God's gift. Receive the gift. Receive Him as God's gift. Don't miss the very careful words of the, of the writer here, of, of John the Apostle. He says, this is the testimony. This is it. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's that God gave. Notice he didn't say that man stood up taller. <laughs> that man reached out and found God. Not that those things, you know, are necessarily uh, something that, that we wouldn't want to say, but, but they're just not true. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, we were far from God, and, and, and right many of us, including myself, would, would be running from God, and yet, in spite of that, the testimony is that God gave. 
It's his gift. In fact, the word testimony here is the word martyria, where we get the word martyr. It means the witness. This is the witness. This is the good news of Christ that God did it. That's, that's always, that, that's a starting point for you whenever someone asks you for the hope that you have. It begins with the point of God giving. And that I'm, I, I have a confidence not in myself, but in a good God. Notice, notice how carefully he is to, to phrase it that way, because I know if it's based on my human effort, I'm scared. I'm terrified. Because the, the facts are these, I make mistakes. Even when I try my very best, I mess up. And I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about just trying to do a task the right way and I make a small error here and then that error compounds itself into a great problem. I built a deck not too long ago. It turned out pretty well. But there was a slight error in my calculation at the beginning. And it caused a curve to begin in the deck boards. And I had to start all the way over because as I went, what started is just, you can't even see that, right? But then by the end, it looked like a C. And I was using this composite decking, so it bends a little bit. Boy, it was crazy. I was like, well, okay, what happened here? What did I do wrong? It's because human error, although it feels so slight, eventually gets us so far from God. That's why I'm thankful for the many scriptures like this one that say God gave. That Jesus is a gift. And the, the, the matter, for me, the decision point is not whether or not I'm good enough. I, I can be confident that I'm not. But that's okay because God is more than enough. And His gift to me is eternal life. And then John goes on to say what that is. That gift is what? The Son. He gives eternal life and this life is in the Son. And then he makes it very clear. In fact, the book of, the book of 1 John, if you were going to be a student of Greek, this is a good spot to start because he writes it on a pretty easy level. I think part of the reason is at the point John is writing this, he's an older man and he often calls his people little children. It's like a granddad talking to his grandkids. And you know, he's getting down on their level and he's giving it to them easy. I mean, it's deep, but it's easy to hear. And he says it plainly, this is like basic logic. If P, then Q. If you have the Son, you have life. If not, you don't. It's that simple. If you want to know what it, it means to have eternal life, then you have to have Jesus. He's the gift. He's, John 3.16, it makes it very clear. God gave out of His love, what did He give? His only begotten Son. That's it. So how do we have assurance? Well, it's certainly not in ourself. But it is in, the, in this Christ, in Jesus. Eternal life here is the idea not only of what we picture, which is heaven, and, but the word has more meaning. If, and, and I think intentionally John uses this word to mean more than just eternity, but also abundance. This word is aeonion, which is where we get the word aeon, which, which is this indescribable length of time. We use the word aeon when we're trying to say it was a long time. And this is what he means here is that not only eternity is in mind, but also the length, this abundance of variety that God has given life. This is the thing that I think sometimes we miss in our gospel presentation. Is that we somehow paint this picture that coming to Christ means I get to go from hell to heaven. That's true. That in Christ Jesus we have been given eternity, heaven, that's true. But we, 
we fall very short if that's all we offer. Because Jesus say, said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That means that what he's doing in my life already now is better than if I did not have him. Somehow we've made that unclear to some people, such, so much so that people would say, you know, when, when, when I'm done sowing my wild oats, I'll come to him because I know it's going to be this walk of obedience and drab and I'm, and I'm not going to have good life anymore. I'm going to do my abundant life B.C. And there's a real confusion there. And people will say, oh, you know, once I'm getting towards the end of my life, I'll, I'll finally do that because I do want to check the box off and make sure eternity is mine. But they're missing the truth of the gospel is that eternal life is more than eternity. It's abundant life now. That in Christ, I have a better marriage. That in Christ, I'm a better father. That in Christ, yeah, certainly I'm a better pastor. But if I was in the, the field that you're in, I would be a better employee or employer. Because it, it impacts everything I do for the good. It doesn't mean everything in my life goes perfectly. There's ups and downs. There's hills to climb. But I... I don't know how to, ha- to sustain, just, just to give one of those examples, I don't know how to sustain a good marriage apart from Jesus. I really don't. I know people make it work sometimes. I'm thankful that me and, me and Nicole have, have Christ. Because we've had some fights. I know. Ooh. We've had a few. We've had some this year. It's not like time has gone by and suddenly we just stop fighting. Like we just, we just have nothing to fight for anymore. We just get no, no. What I found is that our positions are strengthening all the time. She's stronger than I remember. I'm probably stronger than she remembers, and we have confidence. But we also have confidence in each other through Jesus, and that I know we can have a, a heated discussion. Let's call it that instead. It's not like we're we're going to blows, but we have some heated discussions about things we're passionate about. If you're Spouse is not willing to have a heated discussion. They lack passion for the topic. Or they're scared of you, which is not good. That's not a good marriage. Passion creates heat, and then that creates a better reality. Because then in agreeance, when you come to the same, and you go, okay, now we both are on the same page passionately, and this is what life should be about. But apart from Christ... That would have been really difficult. We've had some really silly fights over the years that I'm thankful that I had a Savior to forgive me for. And so did she. That's just one of many examples. Let's not rob people of the truth that Christ gives abundant life. Eternal, yes. Eternity, yes. But more. I've come that they've had abundant life. This is what Paul writes and that the, the, the very sense that we would fail to praise God, that, he, that humanity would fall away from the praise, that He is the free gift. He talks about this in Romans in, in chapter 6, a very famous passage. He says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not only has Jesus said it, not only has many of the apostles said it, Paul makes it clear here. The free gift of God is this, eternal life, and it's through Christ Jesus. This reminds me, and we've been enjoying this over this series. I hope you've been enjoying it as well. Just going through verse by verse of these famous hymns and where they were getting their their hope and their, their inspiration. It's very unique that she begins with this sense of, of Jesus. And I think that's rightfully so. That 
I'm, I'm always a little terrified of a, of a worship song that doesn't have Jesus in it. That, that worries me a little bit. We have a handful, and the reason is you'll notice that we're talking maybe perhaps about God the Creator, uh, but most worship songs should, should have Jesus in them somewhere because uh, we don't really have hope apart from that. She begins right away with that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the gift of God. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. It's a very similar word, like the English word goes back to this testimony word, martyria. It's, it's, she could have almost written, this is my testimony. This is my song. We started with a song like that today, my testimony. This is my testimony. I hope you see. That, do you ever pay attention? We actually try to make these things fit together. I hope you notice sometimes. It's, it's, it's easier when we're actually doing hymns like this. Um, Jesus is mine. I pray that's what you would say today. Where does your blessed assurance come from? That Jesus is mine. That's the gift we must receive. Here's the second. The second key is that we need to believe in Him. We believe in Him as God's salvation. Believe in Him as God's salvation. Receive Him as a gift. Believe in Him as salvation. This is verses 13. This really is all about verse 13 where John is... I don't know if what he's, what he's seeing. Most likely this letter is to the church in Ephesus, one of the biggest churches in the known world at the time. And perhaps he's running into a lot of people who are struggling with doubt. Notice how clearly he puts it in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you. Why? So that you would know that you have eternal life. It's nice when a writer gives you the, the exact why. We don't have to interpret it. We know. I'm writing to you believers so that you would know. The word know here is to perceive, to discern, to discover, to understand. Maybe even to have assurance would be in view. I write them so that you would know that you know that you know. Jesus says in Matthew 1, you shall call His name, or excuse me, the, the angel says in Matthew 1, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. What do you need to know? This Jesus. Know where you get eternal life, whom it comes from. Receiving and believing in Christ, we are saved and we're made children of God. This is a theme really for the Apostle John. I'm thankful for the, for the many writings of John. His Gospel, of course, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. He adds such value to our understanding of, of Scripture and of Christ. In John chapter 1, he writes, verse 12, that to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You'll see that. Those are our first two keys today right there in the text. To those who received the gift and believed in His name, it's one thing to receive the gift. It's another thing to believe in its contents. To open it up and say, this is mine. I mean, I, I would say there's, there's probably a lot of people in your family, in your circles, in your, in your workplaces who have at least received this idea that there was a Jesus and that He probably died on the cross. And maybe on the outside, they're like, yeah, that probably happened. Especially down here in the South, there's a lot of people, although I would say it's less and less so, 
But there's a lot of people who have some understanding of church and of Jesus and what He did. They might even go to church on Easter. But believing is a a step further. (laughs) It's saying, okay, I I see these truths and I put my faith in them. I, I trust in them now. That's more. That's what... That's what John's writing about here. That's what the Scriptures are about. John 3.16, again, we recited it a moment ago. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. (laughs) This is great news, that it comes by belief. Again, goes against totally against this this element of of human capacity. Now this isn't popular so much in our culture today, but it is biblical. And and I hope that as you attend here more and more that you would see maybe the stuff that I, I that I bring out of scripture maybe it doesn't always hit you as wait a minute, but I thought I knew this. I, and it might it might be like a curveball to you. And the reason is we keep being told that we're, we're, we're winners. <laughs> this is going to sound way wacky, but I'm just going to go with it. All right. We live in a, in a generation of people that give out trophies for everything. I mean, comedians have joked about this for long enough. And I'm not telling you anything new. We, we live in a society where you're great. You come out great. And that sounds really good. It, it does. And as a parent, you want to tell your child that. I would say this on the opposite side. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't say, son, you're dumb. And you're not going to mount it. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. But at the same time, when your kid makes a mistake, you shouldn't say, you know what? You're still the greatest. That's not honesty. It's certainly not love. Now, when they're like two or three, you're like, uh, you didn't mean to do that. You got these fat little stubby fingers. You didn't mean to knock that drink over. I'm not going to like harass you over that. But when they're 13, you're like, dude, do we need to go back to sippy cups? Like, Don't tell your kid, you know what? Good job spilling that cup. That's ridiculous. And that's what we do in society. We spill the cup and we give them a five. We give them a clap. Not only is that not helpful, it's not biblical. The, The biblical mandate is what John is talking about, that the free gift comes from God, not human effort. And it doesn't come by believing in something else. Oh, if I believe in myself enough, I can accomplish great things. Well, maybe. But, but me and you define greatness different. Success isn't maybe what others say. Success is how well do I know the Savior of the universe today opposed to yesterday? Like, how, how is my growing awareness of, of a, a good God? Look, if God is real, He created all this, His purpose is for me, then the, the best thing that I could be about is getting to know Him better because He knows where I should be going. He knows His plan better than I could possibly know. This is why writers of old would say the chief end of man is knowing God and enjoying Him forever. That's the chief end of man. Now we got away from this. We got so scientific that we thought, well, this this idea of theology is no longer the, the queen of the sciences. That used to be what they called it. Theology was the ultimate study. Now it's some kind of backwoods, something weird to do that only weirdos do. The good news of scriptures that God gave, and that it's not based on my human effort, and that it it totally hits me more true because I know when I look inside, when I look in the mirror, I know I've got some flaws. I, I know I'm, I'm I've made mistakes. I've done stuff I'm not proud of. And in spite of that, God gave. 
And I don't need anybody to come up and fluff me up and say, you know what, what you did there, that was okay. No, it wasn't. It wasn't okay. It actually was really not okay. I, church, if y'all love me, if, any, if I ever do something that's stupid, please just tell me that. You don't have to say it like that. I mean, maybe <laughs> it, it, with some salt if you can, with a little bit of seasoning. I mean, if I do something foolish, my real friends would tell me the truth. And certainly I'm already going to know it because the Holy Spirit is in me saying, you know what, son, that wasn't it. But I still love you. That's the better news of the gospel. It's true. It's not fluff. That's what we should be telling our friends and family, but it's certainly what we should be believing for ourselves. I would say this in and of itself, and it's not necessarily a point today, but that in and of itself gives me assurance. When I hear the conscience, which is the Holy Spirit say, don't do that. And what you just did, that's not okay. That actually gives me confidence. It doesn't, at the same point where I know I need to repent is at the same point where I know God is in my life speaking. And that gives me assurance because I know He cares enough about me to spank me every once in a while. To give me a smack. This is what, I, I love this second verse too because for me I'm picturing this young lady Fanny Crosby who's blind, who's been blind, has never really known sight at two months old. None of us remember that. She's been blind as much as she could know. And here's the second verse. Perfect communion, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. <laughs> That's trippy. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Once she was asked, you know, if you could ask of the Lord anything, would you ask for your sight back? And strangely enough, she said, no, absolutely not. Because the first thing I'm ever going to get to see is glory. My eyes will open to the Savior. Um, that's a great way to think. The first thing I will see is heaven. And that's what she's writing about here. In fact, I think she had that in mind. Visions of rapture bursting in my sight. Suddenly I will see colors. Just what we take advantage of. Now, friends, the Bible also says none has ever seen, nor I can tell, no, no, no mouth could speak of it. What we're going to see. So even, uh, even us with sight, there's better to come. And that's great news. Here's the third key, final key that I think John speaks of here. Is that as we have confidence in Him as God's answer. Have confidence in Him as God's answer. Receive the gift. Believe in the salvation. And then have confidence in this as God's answer. Now certainly he is speaking of the idea of prayer here. But I think he's also speaking of the sense of who Jesus is and that Jesus is the answer to prayers. I think maybe on a bigger note, that's what he's speaking of. Now, I do think he's also talking about the confidence we have when we come to him in prayer. But on a bigger note, the reason we have that confidence is because of who we are in Christ Jesus. This assurance, this confidence, we can lean on it because of that. He says, and he writes, this, this really wonderful thing that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now, I wonder something, and I've been, I've been wrestling with this for myself. Sometimes I pray, and God doesn't seem to answer. 
Does that ever happen to anybody else? It doesn't seem that God, or at least if He did answer, it, it, I didn't see it because it didn't happen the way I expected it to happen. My, my, what I thought He would do is not what happened. I notice here that John didn't say anything we ask according to His will, He responds in the way that we asked it. Like He could have phrased this different. No, He says, anything we ask according to His will, He hears us. And I wonder something, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with this too. Is it enough for me to know that the God of the universe hears me? I think it should be. I actually think that should be enough. In fact, it should be more than enough. And here's why I think it should be more than enough. I have zero expectation that if I went to one of my, I don't know, local, if I could just go local. If I went to like the local mayor or something and said, hey, I got some ideas. I hope, I really think you should do these things. I have, I have confidence that he actually may not hear me. Even more confidence that he would actually respond. That's just on a local level. I can't imagine going to like my state government or, or the United States government and saying, hey, Here's my request. I'm going to need you to, to, to do this. I don't think it would even get to the ears of whoever's up there. And yet a power way beyond, way beyond any of these entities that God says, I hear you. I hear you. That's big. And if He really hears me, I know He's at work. It may not go down the way I thought. In fact, my request may have been a little bit wrong. My request, even in, in the most wholesome way, I, I was praying for someone's salvation or something and it didn't happen this year, but it happened 10 years from now. And I'm like, why did it take so long? Like clearly that's a, an according to your will prayer. You want that all men would be saved. You, you want that none should perish. So why did it take so long? Or for some of you, you're like, why did it never happen? Wasn't that according to His will? And yet I know that He hears us and that He's working on it. He's working on the human heart. And in the same vein, sometimes things go differently. There's like this battle between God's sovereignty and some sense of will that people, that some people are just unwilling to hear from God. Their hearts are hardened. Their ears are locked, shut down. And then I pray for many things. I pray for this person to get well and it doesn't go this way. And yet for me, for me, and I think this is where we got to get, it's, it's enough to know that the God of the universe hears me and that He's still at work and He's active. And that He goes on in verse 15 to say, we know that the requests, that we have the requests we have asked of Him. Now that's a careful phrasing. That the thing we asked, we have that of Him. <laughs> And it's not going to go down maybe like we thought. Now, every once in a while, it's funny how God works and we ask for something and it happens so abruptly and so in such a way that it was obvious and He does that all the time. I pray if he, you haven't seen that, you'll see it soon. God, God works in very obvious ways, but then other times and many other times, he's in, the, he's in the darkness, He's in the shadows doing work that we cannot see and it goes a way we didn't expect. And oftentimes... It's better than really what we requested. He hears us. But the greater thing that's occurring in this text, the confidence that we have is in Christ Jesus. The thing we didn't know we needed to pray for, He answered. We didn't know we needed to pray for salvation. And yet He answered. 
And that's the confidence we have in Him. I pray that you will discover this in your daily life. Now, here's the interesting thing, church. If you're not praying, it shouldn't surprise you that God's not hearing or answering. And some of you will come to me later and be like, you know, I've never really seen God answer prayers. And if we got to the bottom of it, we'd find out you don't pray. That's silly. Okay, let's just, let's just put that out there. That's silliness. I never hear God speaking His Word. When's the last time you read it? It's been a while. Strange. I'm amazed that He wouldn't speak through His Word that you never read. I'm surprised He doesn't answer your prayers you never pray. So let's not make those kind of crazy excuses. Well, I, you know, I figured God just, you know, He's going to just do what's right by me. Well, maybe He's going to do... God's always going to do what's right by Him. <laughs> He's the creator. He's doing what's just. You can either line up in that or not. You can go your own way and go astray, but He hears us. That's good. That's good news. And He heard our call for salvation even when we weren't crying it out. And He answered it in Jesus. It is God's will, church, know this. It is His will for us to be saved. 2 Peter 3 says, and this is what I was saying earlier, that God is not slack concerning His promise as some would count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is His desire, is that all would come to know Him. And He's not slack. And what, what Peter's talking about is, it's not like God is just delaying His second coming just because. It's actually His mercy. He is long-suffering, allowing some chaos in your world. You looked around lately? It's madness. But honestly, it's been madness. We just see it in our time and think it's the worst ever. But I think every single generation says the same thing. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? And when are you going to do something about this? And yet, it is long-suffering that more would come to faith. Because He wants all to come to repentance. Jesus is this answer. Romans 10.9, you'll help me recite this again in a moment. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. He is the answer. God's answer to prayer. John writes in John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the answer. Pray your prayers according to faith in Christ Jesus. And this is where Crosby ends her, her hymn. This idea of submission. Perfect submission, she says, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. A blind woman singing this is so interesting to me. Filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Do you see this sense of submission and rest that when I pray I have confidence that my Savior is for me, that He's going to do what's best for me. I'm happy and blessed. I'm watching and waiting. And I'm lost in His love. I'm hanging out there. That's where I decide to lean, is in the love of Christ. I pray that's what we do. Jesus is the answer. This young lady, though physically blind, I think really lived this out better than most, this blessed assurance that comes only through spiritual sight. You don't have to have all these physical things go right for you in order to spiritually understand that Christ is good and that He is His gift and that we can believe. I wonder today, on Mother's Day, 
Will you receive that gift? And if you have, have you believed it for yourself? Not, it's not something your parents can do, not a, not a spouse. Has, has it become your salvation? And are you putting your confidence in that? Confidence that not only is Jesus God's answer for me, but that God hears me, that God's at work in my life. I pray you see that and see it clearly. Let's begin in prayer together now. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You are a God who loves us. That You are a God who shows mercy. <laughs> it's a small picture and not all of us had great mothers, but most of us did. I write many of us did. and We're thankful. We're celebrating that today, Lord. But I recognize something that a good mother is really just a characteristic of who you are. That it's a picture. A good father is the same. A good mother, a good father are glimpses of a great God. A mother who, who would typically be unconditional in her giving. This is the nature of a lot of this nurturing kind of person that would give you the shirt off their back, that would do the hard work of changing a diaper again and again and again and again, that would clean you up. That's a, that's a picture that would wash you up, that would feed you that, those aspects that we often put towards motherhood. Those are a glimpse of you, God. Male and female, you created us. You gave us this as a glimpse of your nurturing, loving, gracious, merciful. Who you are to us is that and more, way more. Surely you sustain us, you feed us. That's obvious. You, not only that, you clean us up. We as adults, we keep making messes. And yet in Christ Jesus, you clean us up, wash us up. I'm thankful today, Lord, for that little glimpse that reminds me of you, the great and holy, loving, merciful God. Thank you for who you are to us. Thank you for creating, letting me be a part of your mission and a part of the purposes you have for this place. You didn't have to do any of that. You did it out of your love and just creativity and joy. I'm thankful for who you are, Lord. And much more than that, I'm thankful for salvation today that you saw my mess and you cleaned it up. And it cost you a lot. It cost you everything. And you paid it willingly. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Friend, if you come in here today and you've not received and believed that for yourself, you're hanging out on the outside of God's will and there's no need to do it. There's no need. The fact that you have no confidence, no assurance today is not because of God, but because of you. He has given the gift. He has made the offer. It's your chance now to say yes. It is by faith we receive this gospel. Paul writes, as we recited earlier, if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We can have assurance in that faith and that belief. If that's you today, friend, you're ready to say yes, please pray with me a, a prayer of confession. Say with me, Jesus, I believe that You died on the cross for my sin. I believe that You are Lord 
Lord of my life, sure, but Lord of all. I believe that today. And Jesus, I believe you were raised from the grave, that God raised you up. I believe in the cross and the resurrection. I stake my faith in that now. And that gives me great hope. God, I would ask now that you would give me confidence and assurance that I've placed my faith in you. And now begin to guide my life. Away from how I've been walking on my own, guide my life in the way you've designed it so that I could live for you. Dear friend, if you prayed that with me, welcome to the family of God. And we are praying right alongside you. God, guide our steps. Help us to show off this love well. This gift we've received, this belief we have in our hearts, and our life, this confidence. I pray for the believers in this room that we would know, that we know, that we know that Jesus has saved us. We can put our confidence in that. We can be sure in it. I pray you would remove any doubt, the anxieties that some feel, that you would remove those things and set us on your course, that we would honor you and glorify you with our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.